Hey guys, and welcome to the Coffee and Turner Syndrome podcast. My name is Brooke. Pour yourself your favorite cup of coffee, and let's hop into today's episode. Guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am really, really excited. I have a special guest today. And I'm excited to chat with her. This is Lacey. So I will stop talking and let her introduce herself. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Lacey. And I have found Brooke's podcast via Facebook. And I was very interested in it because I got diagnosed with TS at 12. And at the time, my parents had no idea what it was or anything, but I did get put on growth hormone shots right away because there was a lot of talk of, oh, your bone plates could cut off soon. But there wasn't too much else done um, at the time. I think because I seemed pretty healthy and everything. Uh, and just looking back, um, it did, I guess I'm glad I did the shots. It probably gained about five inches overall but would have appreciated more help with um, things like making friends and fine motor skills and things like that. Because I definitely had a nonverbal learning disability, even though as far as I could tell, my heart is just fine. Things like kidneys just fine, things like that. Blood sugar was always fine. But there, but I was being horribly bullied in school and then got a little older and had worse trouble um, finding dates, and then graduated from college, managed to get through school okay, but had trouble finding and keeping a job, and I wasn't always sure why, or why I was going for so many interviews with nothing, or why sometimes I would start a job, and then um, the boss would end up not very happy with me, so, but at the time, when I was diagnosed, there just wasn't much talk about any of that, it was just, oh, she seems healthy, she does well in school, it's fine, we're just not going to worry about that, um, and let's see, so I got, got married, and as it turns out, my now ex-husband had trouble dealing with both nonverbal learning disability, and I think felt sometimes I was embarrassing him in front of his family and friends, and infertility either. Basically, he really wanted kids and found that things like adoption and egg donation were just tougher emotionally, financially, just in a bunch of ways than we thought they were. We were kind of naive going into this. And just to make sure that um, everybody does know, yeah, what, what their options are and um, what it's all about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, I totally relate to the difficulty of navigating those things. Um, so it sounds like you had some experiences where you would be fine maybe physically, but would struggle more like in, in school and work. And of course, those same things that struggle there also struggle in other personal relationships you know, with family and friends, and it, it's all kind of, it's more connected than we realize sometimes. So I would love to hear if there's anything that you have found particularly helpful in those things. Like, is there, is there resources you found or, or things that you've discovered that just were a really great support during that? Sure. Let's see. So for nonverbal, I think it just helps with what exactly you're struggling with, whether it's social skills, 
fine motor skills and just trying to be very patient with myself, like with depth perception, just being very patient myself with learning to drive and trying to take it one step at a time. And now I am a job coach and I can drive all over the Bay Area to clients, um, no real problem, but just it took a little while to get there in high school. Uh, and with friends and dates, just um, really just tr to try and whether keep talking and try and keep aware of their expressions or their nonverbals, any sense that they're getting bored or they do want to keep talking, things like that. Because um, my dad obviously doesn't have turners, but grew up with them and he can very much, he wants to talk what he wants to talk about. And can go up to his group of friends. Oh, did you see the basketball game last night? He loves sports when no, they were not talking about the basketball game. Rather <laughs> than just trying to talk about what they want. Yeah, just learning things like that. If there's anything you can pick up will help. And part of just me, I've just always been quiet too, which just didn't help with that part either. And fine motor skills, um, even with practice, it's not the best, but just to try and ways, find jobs, find hobbies that don't necessarily need super fine motor skills like drawing or uh, art anything along those lines, as well as to try and get some things done. Like I have professional manicures because if I try and cut and paint myself, it just won't work. But if I do some outsourcing, it helps too. Mm. With um, infertility, I think part of it is just to really be realistic about your options. Yes, they've worked for many women and it's great. I have one friend right here in the Bay Area who has adopted son and it's worked out very well. Um, and there are others who meet at conferences who did go through egg donation or adoption or other related things. But just to really know what you're getting into and, um, you know, financially, emotionally, everything, and just see if you even qualify. Because I'm sure there are many who may think, oh, I'm going to adopt someday. And then the agencies are, oh, you have to be married for this years. You have to have this income and this and that. And it just seems like us butterflies. I don't even like that word. But I think those that can know what I'm talking about don't um are more likely to be underemployed or single or whatever the case might be and um and i have one friend who doesn't have turner syndrome but is interest is single and is interested in foster care and she's like that's a lot easier especially when it's temporary care for older kids just look at um all options including that one and with a donation to make sure that you get your um hearts checked first um figure out how you even find who the egg donor is going to be that can get tricky and just knowing all the um, steps involved and also just note that's not just turners who um, are affected by infertility as well I've met friends with infertility issues who don't have turner syndrome like I told open up to one friend and she said that she didn't have any fertility issues herself but she, the reason she didn't um, have kids was her husband as it turned out had a, a low sperm count and they were going through similar issues of do we want to adopt do we want to use a sperm donor um do we want to do IVF and just what do we want to do um my brother is married to another guy and they're also going for similar do we want to adopt do we want to use a surrogate do we yeah what do we want to do so just yeah to help feel less alone and uh also to realize that um you really can have I think especially in the 21st century a uh, good life without kids many women with or without Turner syndrome do and uh, having very full lives and relationships and everything without it. If this none of those options does work out as sucky as it is um, at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, um, I, I probably have like overwhelmed everybody with how much I talk about it, but 
the biggest thing that I found through our infertility, fertility journey, however you want to look at it, is how easy it is to overwhelm yourself with all of the options, all of the different scenarios, all of the information that's out there. And there's so much to consider for making the choice for yourself. And so the the biggest thing that um, we ran into is I, I knew fertility options were not cheap, but I even expecting it to be pricey, still got sticker shock um, just in how much it really is. And so when you, when you have made those options, that's why the phrase just adopt never really is accurate because there is no scenario where you just adopt. Every scenario where that happens has its complications and things you're navigating and working through. And it's never a simple process, whether it's traditional through an agency, whether it's IVF with egg donation, embryo adoption, um, or foster care and foster to adopt, which is ultimately the route that we are on um, currently going through. And even that, it, it financially, it's much simpler um, because there's so, so much help in that way with doing it that way. It's much cheaper. Um, you get a lot of support through it. And so it, in that way, it is the simpler, simpler and simplest option. But the other side of that coin is other complications in in situations and relationships within it. It's much different than the scenario of a traditional private adoption. So there is just so much to consider. (laughs) And I think the biggest thing that I kind of noticed through everything you said was just communication is so key through going through all of it. Oh yeah. And definitely if, um, so you're married to really talk with your husband about this and it won't be just one conversation just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Yeah. What step, what do we want to do? When do we, when do we stop? Because it's one of those things where it's hard to know when to stop because you can always try again. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Those are, those are conversations that, I mean, we, me and my husband have been on this journey trying to do foster care and foster to adopt for a number of years. And it's been consistent conversations through all of that of like, is this still the same place we thought we were at? Is that still where we are? Has any of that changed? And I feel like that's the same probably with the nonverbal learning things, you know, it's evaluating where you're at, trying to communicate about it and adjust if you need to. Sure. And there's a lot of um, communicating to others, whether, especially with the learning disability, whether it's um, your new boss or your new friends, whatever, so they just 
understand what's going on and to try and explain it on scary way. Basically what help you do need, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And I think it was hard for a lot to even really explain, wait, what am I good at? What am I not good at? Especially as NVLD can lead to a lot of, yeah, um, uneven abilities. And so people might not understand, oh, you can write up these wonderful reports, say at work or do this or that, but you have seen have trouble with other simple tasks. Wait, why is this? Are you just lazy with those simple tasks? Um, so they know what's going on and yeah, what support what you need, but they'll expect you to explain to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved what you said about, you know, looking, looking for things that highlight your strengths. So you're not going to go into a job that requires really, really strong, fine motor skills. If that's not a strength for you, yeah. for me, I would never go into a job that required a higher level of math because that is not my thing. And I just know that is not a strength and that's not a weakness to look at and say, this is not a strength for me. I think it's actually a really powerful thing to be able to go, this isn't a strength for me, but this one really is. And I, I may not be strong in this area, but I am really strong in this and I can focus on that. No, oh, yeah. And that's why I did end up, um, first of all, going to library school because it felt like something that would go to my strengths doing research and working with the public. Because even though I can be quiet, I could at least read at the front desk and working with the um, computer catalogs, things like that was, what, was something I could pick up pretty easily. Entering new books and new people, taking away old books and old people. And now I'm a job coach and some of my clients don't have um, great fine motor skills either. So it makes it helpful to be um, sympathetic to them now, as well as probably some of those my strengths because I can be very patient and just explain things to people in different ways. And I know a lot of my clients appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's a great way of looking at the experiences Turner's give us too, because you know, I'm, I may not have that, like for foster care, I may not have that child's particular life experience, but I have my own that I can use to kind of empathize and relate with them. And like, I may not have had that feeling about your specific situation for me, but I, I know that feeling I've experienced that before. And I think that's really powerful too. And I love when you're able to kind of flip something like that and use something that was a struggle for something good. Oh, I hope so. And it, it can take a very long time to figure it out. I definitely, until I got this job coaching job, I had no idea that there was any such thing as job coaches. This were the places to, um, well, I think um, to not, I hate to say just don't give up because I don't think we do easily, but always to just keep looking, whether it's for jobs, new friends, new dates, because um, it can get um, so overwhelming out there with every, with all these job, everything from job ads to online dating to everything to find which one's for you, but just to try and um, find something that does work with your strengths and people who do appreciate you and get you and get your strengths. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to hear if 
if you would like to share a little more, I would love to hear a little more about the, the fine motor skills part of nonverbal learning, because I'm very much the math and depth perception part of it. Um, that <laughs> it's been my whole life. Okay. And so, yeah, I would love to hear about your experience with that. Let's see. So part of it is drawing. I can't draw it all. <laughs> And then it could also get into everything from even um, here. Part of the reason I have to give it short is because even just reading or doing something too fancy with it could get just tricky, especially with it as thick as it is. As, um, and just, um, my dad says that my handwriting is terrible. So I found that I just have to go very slowly especially if I'm not typing it up, but actually trying to write it down. Because usually if I take my time, it, it is legible. As well as just, um, I think part of this, why I'm not good in sports or athletic at all, it kind of comes down to the same things. But then I just try and get um, exercise in. I walk my puppy dog. I have mm -hmm. horse lessons on Saturdays. So just try and wait ways to get exercise in, I think is important for us, even if we're not actual athletes or anything like that. Absolutely. No, I was definitely never going to be any artist, architect, anything along those lines. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think part of that is just finding, you know, what's, what's your way of doing those areas that do overlap within that then that, you know, I am not strong in math, but I can do basic math and I know what areas to focus on that are actually going to impact my everyday life. And, and I also graduate from school, you only need so many math skills. A yes. lot of your jobs paying the bills. Yes. There's some there's a certain level of math that once you pass it, you've gotten everything you would need for normal everyday life if you're not going to be like a math teacher or you know go into something like really in-depth math. Um, so I appreciate that. I also appreciate what you mentioned about outsourcing when you can. <laughs> Oh, um, I can't do my own taxes. Speaking of math, I did have to get an accountant. Of course, part of that is it's a long story, but with the family trust, things get more complicated than the one job coaching W-2. So I sort of tried, but it was not happening. <laughs> yes. But we got an accountant, yes. so everything got filed on, filed and everything correctly. Yes. Oh, and we love a good collaboration. <laughs> Oh gosh, math. Um, I think my, it made my dad so impatient if I ever struggled with anything. He was the one who was third in the entire state in, of Arizona. Where he oh, wow. With, um, on one test, which he probably had about in high school. He then was a physicist for 30 years. So yes, <laughs> he got very high in math, which would get very frustrated with, oh, I don't see why you can't just get this at times. <laughs> but I did pass basic algebra anyway. I got my bachelor's in sociology anyway, so best the basic math classes to get that in at least. Yes, I graduated. I I got my bachelor's and master's degree with the least amount of math I needed, and that would be relevant. And I threw a party when I took the last math class I would ever have to take. Oh, nice, nice. I was just 
I was so excited and so happy to have gotten that behind me and done. <laughs> so um, I, I am very passionate with the infertility part just because it is something that I feel like can go not unnoticed or untalked about necessarily, but can be something that does sometimes get dismissed as far as the impact. Oh, sure. And, and so I would, I would love to hear any, any advice or resources or anything like that that you might have for what maybe helped you when you guys were navigating it and thinking through all of that? Sure. Oh, yeah, it was, I cried at 12 because uh, basically I didn't have any ovaries working at all. Many with Turner syndrome do have at least produced some hormones, eggs, some something, but there was just never anything. Um, and it's not like I was planning on having kids at 12, but I sort of figured I would someday. Um, it was just what everybody else did. And so it was rough. And it and I didn't get a lot of support because a lot of people either didn't know or was very, very oh, you can have a good life without kids. That doesn't sound like such a big deal. And let's so I would definitely recommend for so just give yourself time to grieve. And if you're married, definitely make sure um, you're very open with hubby about that. We definitely had many grieving tears about this together and it sort of kind of brought us together. Um, and definitely it would be something I would be open about when you first start dating. I found many guys don't care either they're oh I don't necessarily have to have bio kids or oh we can always adopt or do a donation someday but some may care and it's just better to find this out sooner rather than later I found. And I think it's also good to look at all options because you may start out when you first get diagnosed, oh, I'm definitely gonna do it this way. Um, say I'm definitely gonna do egg donation because I wanna you know, experience being pregnant and everything. And then find us and don't wait, just raising a kid is what's important. Maybe we sh should go, just go for adoption and not risk any heart issues or anything like that. And just, um, and that there's no necessarily, I don't think one answer for, every woman or every couple you just have to figure out what's yeah best for you what you you both can live with yeah and absolutely what you guys can handle um for example if, and i would also try and come up with a plan early on like say you're going through ivf for a donation how many times can we try because um, if say it doesn't work the first time or the second time because and if or the doctors will always, okay, as many times as you want, but just financially and emotionally, you probably can't do it 10 times. <laughs> I don't know how many people really can. So it's just, if you come up with a limit early on, it um, may be open to knowing when it's time to find another option before you are completely exhausted and broke and devastated. Yeah, yeah. I think that's incredible advice. I think there's so many of those details that hearing stories of others that have gone through it before you, that's what makes that so powerful because those are things you don't find out until you're in the thick of it and going, oh, that's, that's something I wish I had heard from somebody before we started this. Um, you know, because I definitely had that moment where when I got the news or when, when 
I first started anticipating we were going to have to do something because I, I knew since I was about 10 years old that it wasn't likely. Um, so I went into the testing thinking, they're probably gonna tell me IVF with egg donation um, or at least really intricate IVF, like major surgeries possibly. But then you get the price tag for that. Mm -hmm. And then you get the health complication side of it where you could potentially have health complications. And there's a lot to weigh with that. Not to say that it's not worth looking at, but there really is a lot to weigh. And then you look at so much of the emotional side of going through those things. Even if you make that decision, none of it's guaranteed. Yeah, that's a thing. Um, and often it does eventually work with any, but yeah, there's no guarantee for any particular person. Or yeah, it's just. You have to go through for any particular person. Yeah, you never know how the journey is going to look for you. I mean, our journey with foster care and foster to adopt has been one that has definitely gone ways we would not have been able to predict. Um, so I think definitely, and that was not what I first hoped to be able to do. So, so I had to make that switch and go, okay, yeah, I guess we should look at other options at least, you know, like I definitely was more open to those things at that point than I had been. Go, okay, maybe that isn't either the best or the only way we should consider. Like that maybe we shouldn't just jump into making that as our decision. Um, yeah, it's, and, and definitely, I, I actually have a lot of girls ask me, when should I tell him that I know this is either a problem for me or potentially a problem for me? You know, when, when do I tell him that? Or when do I tell my partner that? And I don't feel like there's one right answer for everybody as far as when. I will say, if you are in a more serious relationship, like if it's, if it's crossed over into more serious, less casual, and you're talking future, definitely they should know then. And I wouldn't say anything on a first date, because <laughs> that is more about like trying to yeah, more impress the guy, not give him reasons to forget it but yeah once you're getting more serious then yeah you do have to say something and because it's not something that he's going to naturally ask about or no could even be a problem or they even have any kind of disability or anything so yeah you kind of it's kind of your job to bring it up yeah it can it can be difficult but it's very important and I find you know and I've had I've had girls say well but what if what if he says he doesn't want to be with me when I tell him though well then in my opinion, then you know that he wasn't the one you were supposed to spend your life with. Sure. And I mean, it is bad. But look, uh, but I can't tell those girls, luckily, I haven't had that happen too much. Or I haven't heard of that happening very much. Most, yeah. most are very pretty um, understanding, I think. Yeah. Because I've told definitely a few different guys I've dated and 
no other women with Turner syndrome also told guys they were dating. And most, the good news is most were pretty okay with it. Some may not be, but I guess it's a risk you have to take. At least, yeah, you know, um, the guys, yeah, weren't compatible. Yeah, yeah, you know that that's not the person you'd be able to go through whatever it brings you through with, because it's not just the infertility side of it that you would have to look at either. There's all of the health things that come with it that, you know, whatever that looks like for you or the potential is there and them being in a position to understand and know that you have that happening on your side is, you know, you, you know, then based on their response, whether they would be somebody that you would be able to have by your side for that. Sure. And I would definitely focus on the signs of turners that you personally have, because that's what he's going to be mostly interested in because nobody really has all signs. And yes, he will, he may very well Google turner syndrome later. (laughs) I've, I've had guys get back to me, but wait, you don't have a webbed neck or wait, do you have a heart condition? You didn't say think about that. And I was like, no, no, I don't um, have those particular signs. And that's okay. We, you can always talk about it again after he Googles it. But yeah, in the first conversation, just focus on what you have because that's really what's important to him. Yeah. Yeah, that is, a, that is a funny scenario with it if they Googled it because then you have to kind of moderate for Google and go, well... That's possible, but that's not my scenario. <laughs> so absolutely, I I love that's a great reminder that you know focus focus on your particular situation because we know that everybody's different. Also, I think I think the biggest thing with Turners can be just educating the people around us. And I, I wonder if you have any tips from your experiences on maybe, I wanna say strategies, like ways of going about that, that can open the conversations that can keep it open because we know it can be a ever evolving conversation um, and kind of keep that communication happening and open. Sure. And I know, and this is definitely can be a tough one because it's a syndrome that many have never heard of. And it's a syndrome that often isn't all that obvious. It's not like Down syndrome, say, where there's a very specific look and most people have heard of it. So you don't have to be able to explain it. Um, ideally in a way that's not too scary, but it depends on who you're talking to. Like if at work, um, you're going to talk about how it affects work or how you do a work tasks with friends, more, I don't know social skills or just how we affect other things you're going through or things they maybe need to know. Like um, if you may have trouble with nonverbal communication or may need heart surgery, then that would be good for them to know. So they can support you for that. Um, and sometimes it's hard to even know do you start with the genetics or the signs or anything, but I would also mostly again talk about your personal story unless it's some um, presentation in front of biology class or something. And just what signs yet yeah, you have. And then sometimes the um, genetics or other parts can come later. And as well as focus on yeah, what parts are relevant to them, depending on what your relationship even is. And the good news is most are pretty understanding, um, even if it takes a minute to even 
get what you're talking about. <laughs> After all, it's not like we spent, most of us spend a lot of time thinking about chromosomes or very um, growth hormone or um, aortas or egg donation. But once you exp yeah, explain it, mostly they get it, they understand, they're compassionate about it. Yeah, I do find that kind of giving a little synopsis of what it is and kind of letting them um, digest the information piece by piece and, and not giving them everything at once. Um, and definitely, I think that's a great idea for, you know, it really, it, they don't need to know potentially everything if, if they're in a, in a social relationship with you that doesn't really pertain to that. Um, I think that's very, very important also. I think, I think it's something that can stop us up but there really has never been an experience in my life where I have had somebody go, ooh, mm, and think worse of me because of it. See, that's the good news. Yeah, I, I haven't experienced that either. It's just um, trying to calmly, because I know I can get, when I get nervous explaining things like this, I can get very fast or very whispery. Just mm -hmm. trying to calmly explain, yeah, what matters most yeah, for your relationship at first. And then you can sort of um, take it from there. And they might come back and ask for the questions later. And that's great that they're interested and you can go over that then. Because that's the thing, it doesn't have to be just one conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I realized when we were talking about your story, I never asked if you were classic or mosaic. Oh, I am mosaic. Okay. This is one of the Facebook groups I know everyone has to ask about. Um, an unusual kind of mosaicism, you could say, but yeah, it is mosaic. What do you mean by unusual? Is it, um, oh, no, I can't remember the term. There was an, a specific kind I'm thinking of, but I'll let you oh, respond. So basically, part X cells, part XY cells. Okay, okay. And then I found this out years later because the endocrinologist didn't want to get into the why with me or my parents I think initially and then I was like wait and then I thought wait am I really a guy what does this mean <laughs> I never felt transgender or anything like that I was always very raised a girl very happy as a girl um was never even that tomboyish or anything in a lot of ways though I did like um sci-fi fantasy and some things like that but that was about as close as it got <laughs> Um, and part, and the, practically though, it's pretty much the same as other types of Turner syndrome, except you tend to have, um, surgery, um, to prevent basically going to add cancer for lack of better words. Mm, okay. Or potential going to add cancer. I, th I feel in many cases it never would, but my parents were very insistent. Oh, but if there's any chance at all and they're not producing hormones or eggs anyway, we should do that right away, just in case. You know, those are things that for me, I, all of the medical stuff, mm -hmm. I, I take so much more seriously than I think I ever have in my life because 
you never know what's going to happen and how things might change. And especially, I always think of my family history with things and, and a lot of mine has overlap. So I'm like, oh, well, I have it coming from two places. So probably want to keep on top of that. <laughs> okay. so there's so many things with turn syndrome you do have to keep on top of, whether it's um, echocardiograms for your heart or um, blood test for whatever, blood sugars, cholesterol liver function, whatever it might be, because they can't absolutely um, change over time. It's good to keep up on those things as much as you can. Yeah. And even as like our, our hormone replacement therapy can change, that shifting can change things a lot too. I had that happen. And if I hadn't been doing testing, I would have never noticed. Oh, sure. Because a lot of these I know, absolutely will only show up in a blood test. You don't necessarily feel sick or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you found all of the appointments and screenings? And has that been overwhelming for you or has that been pretty smooth? You know, I haven't had as much as I think many have. Because overall, I've been pretty healthy. Now, there were a lot of appointments at first because... Um, first of all, when you're first diagnosed, there's a lot of appointments and initial checks. Yeah. And second, they wanted to make sure that the growth hormone was actually working because I only had a few years before my growth plates closed at that point. But then after I reached my full height, after the first few years, it did cut down, go down in the appointments I needed. And these days, it feels like a lot of appointments are whether eye checkups, um, I'm slightly nearsighted and things like that almost became more common than anything turns related. I still try and do an echo every five years or so, just to make sure that um, the aorta still looks okay. And I do try and get blood tests done once a year at least for yeah, all sorts of liver, thyroid, um, blood sugar, cholesterol. But that really is just one lab appointment a year. So it was just one of those things you gotta do. So it hasn't yet been too bad. I know, I think for some, it's a lot more. And I would just um, do what you have to do, what points you got to do. If you have to tell your employer something, they are supposed to give sick hours for it. And you don't necessarily have to get to every detail what the doctor's appointment is for. Yeah, I've had, particularly the last several months, I've had a lot of doctor's appointments. And it feels like there's so much I was doing that it was like, just, it's just a doctor's appointment. I don't need to go into details. <laughs> so yeah, it's, I, I do feel like there, there comes a time after diagnosis, it feels like, or maybe after even a big shift, because I was diagnosed while my mom was still pregnant with me. So mm -hmm there has been a couple of times in my life where there's like a big shift in things. And so I'll have a lot of them and then it'll level back out and then I'll go back to the once a year doing blood work and an echo and those types of things. Um, just for making sure. Sure. Oh wait, and the audiologist. I've been to a few different audiology appointments and it's found that my, um, high-pitched hearing isn't so as good as it should be, but I haven't noticed it in real life yet. 
so I can keep, always keep going. And if it gets worse, I can eventually try hearing aids down the road. I'm hoping that's many years away at this point, but I know I try to get myself to get, keep getting these things tested out, checked out. Yes, especially the hearing, I feel like is one that it can be easy for it to sneak up on you. Um, I recently got hearing aids and mine's mid frequency hearing loss. So unfortunately for me, that's probably the frequency you'd notice the most in normal everyday life. And I think, I think the biggest thing that I, I noticed was after I found out, I just realized how much I was actually missing, like how much I noticed myself struggle. And that was kind of how I determined like, how do I feel about this? Like how, how do I feel I, I need to approach this? And I think that's important to know so you can have that in the conversation with your doctors about whatever it is. And, um, yeah, keeping up on it can just give you so much information to process and, and just have an understanding of what's going on, even if it's not something you'll do something about yet. I had this diagnosed, I think, two and a half, three years before I got hearing aids. But if I hadn't had that appointment, I would not have even been thinking about it at this point, probably. And yeah, then, then you have the opportunity to get ahead of things too. Sure. So it's a, it's a less stark change or transition or whatever the situation is when, you know, you, you found out as early as you could, you saw things happening that you could notice and Oh, yeah, absolutely. Many things are um, easier treated when they get caught early. Yeah, and then you you have more time to process and transition as you're doing things rather than it feeling like, oh, it's an emergency and we have to do this right now. Mm. You know, I feel like that's so much, especially with everything you're keeping track of, that can feel like the least overwhelming way of juggling it all. Oh, sure. Well, this has been amazing. It has been really great talking with you. Um, was there anything specific that if you could have those listening take one thing away from our chat today, what would that be? Sure. Um, I think one thing would be that it's important to just be re- take charge of yourself, um, whether it's medically, the job hunt, there is help. Department of Rehab, things like that, if you need help with that, to find your best life, whether it's the healthiest, best career, best relationships that you can. And if something isn't working for you, whether it's your job, your doctor, your whatever it might be, your friends, it's always, you can find new ones, you can do more research, especially with Google, it's going to be so easy, as well as to Take time to think about how to explain it, whether to employers, to dates, to new friends, and other people who do come into your life that you feel is important to know about Turner Syndrome. Huh? Yeah, I think that's good. 
And I, I think that that can, for me, I love that because it can feel like Turner's throws things so much out of your control. And that's your way of kind of being able to focus yourself. Oh, sure. I love that. Thank you so, so much for coming on and chatting. It has been wonderful talking with you and hearing your story and experiences. Oh, yes. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. Um, so I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And yeah, I, I'm just very grateful you came on and I hope you have a great rest of the day. Oh, thanks. Hope, hope everybody who watches this learns something. It was very nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. It was so great meeting you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Coffee and Turner Syndrome. If you would like to support the podcast, I do have listener support set up on Anchor. And if you'd like to leave me a voice message, I would love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can find the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brooktv. Make sure you're subscribed so you see when the next one comes out. And I will see you guys in the next episode.